With your permission, Lord Jesus Christ, you have just been placed there on the altar in that ciborium. You're hidden there in the, in the hosts. And we begin this uh, time of prayer by making an explicit act of faith in your real presence. An act of faith that helps us to look up upon you with, with hope as we dedicate a few minutes now in the presence of God, asking the Lord to help us pray and to be open, truly open to the inspirations of the Holy Spirit as we do that prayer. And uh, perhaps as we begin our prayer now, we can go back to 1962 when uh, Pope John the Twenty-Third had been only a few years uh, Pope, Cardinal Angelo Giuseppe Roncalli. He wasn't expected uh, to be elected Pope, but there he was, and many people thought that he would just be a transitional figure, just a few years there, you know, to get us all into gear before we, we you know, before we name another Pope that will really make an impact. And yet, despite the fact that he was considered a transitional figure, he he did probably one of the most uh, monumentally uh, life-changing uh, things or decisions by calling the Second Vatican Council. And uh, it was a huge event that was meant to re-examine the Church in the light of uh, modern life. And of course, uh, the tradition of, uh, of the faith over the centuries. And really, the whole purpose was to help Catholics, really to help all Christians, to integrate the Church's teaching into their own daily life, what was called sometimes the modern life. It began with all these bishops uh, lining up there to go to St. Peter's uh, Basilica there, where they reflected on the, the Shema, these, these kind of uh, uh, texts that had that had been prepared by a number of theologians, where they would re-examine, okay, so how are we to understand the liturgy in the light of the modern world? And then later it was going to be, how do we understand the church in the light of the modern world? And uh, it began with the liturgy. That's, let's look at the liturgy, Sacrosanctum Concilium. And uh, the first uh, schema, the first sort of outlines that were examined, they looked at this and said, let's throw this out. And they threw out the first outlines. They, they seemed not to correspond to what we really want to look at. And the whole thing was re-examined under what was now called uh, Sacrosanctum Concilium. And uh, everything, everybody was getting really excited. Now this is, wow, this is going to be amazing. And uh, then during the kind of breaks between the sessions, because there were several sessions foreseen, when everybody now went home and would come back for the next session, during one of those breaks in June of 1963, Pope John Paul XXIII, who was behind all this inspiration, just died. He was 81. Well, it's expected on 81. I mean, what are you going to do? You know? But uh, people wondered now if the project would continue because he had inspired it. He, he had that uh, inspiration to do that. And more sessions were foreseen. Would this really continue? And of course, Pope Paul VI was elected. And of course, the first thing he said was that, yes, indeed, the Second Vatican Council would continue. And he would bring the Second Vatican Council to fulfillment, and that was to be his legacy. And then later, Pope John Paul II would figure out 
how to apply all those documents. Everything was written down now after the Second Vatican Council, but now, okay, so, so how do we apply actually uh, all that the Council said? And then in the Jubilee um, year, of the year 2000, in the millennium, he reiterated there that the essential teaching of the Council, the Second Vatican Council, was this amazing teaching of the universal call to sanctity. That is, everybody is called to holiness in daily life. That was what was articulated there in the constitution on the church in the modern world called Lumen Gentium. And he sort of outlined again or re-articulated what the Council Fathers had said or stretched so much that the idea of the role of the church in the modern world was not that we just outlined some interesting ecclesiology with a kind of spiritual veneer, but really to make everybody eager and, I guess you could say, enthused about the, the idea that we could be truly holy with the sacraments, and that this was an essential aspect of the church, that the church was not just about some some beautiful rituals, however ancient they may be, but that we all feel this urgency to be saints. Well, this was professed in the sense that the church was holy to point to her as the bride of Christ and because he gave himself up to her precisely in order to make her, the church, holy. And this was, as it were, the objective gift of holiness which was offered to all the baptized. And uh, to what extent this, did this teaching about the universal call to holiness, that everybody is called, not just the, to be in the church, but everybody is called with this sense of urgency to truly be holy, that this was not relegated to certain people in the hierarchy, or, but this was for everybody who was baptized. And to what extent did it really uh, sink in, this teaching it was i mean it was a gift that idea of, of baptism but also it was a gift that became a task eh, which must shape the whole of our our life eh? as saint paul said this is the will of god your your sanctification this is the will of god and so uh, we ask uh, we ask our lord now eh, to make this this teaching really, let's say, real in our life, and that, that we sense that urgency. Paul says that it is the will of God. It is not some kind of unrealizable ideal that only a few can attain, or that's something that is pretty much impossible. And uh, maybe even now, uh, as you hear this invitation for you to be a saint, Maybe you think it's a nice idea. Oh, that's lovely, Father. It's just a lovely idea. It's a lovely story that you're telling us. Maybe we don't think, given our life, given our family, the stresses, the hardships, the difficulty at work, all the, all the challenges that everybody in some way or another in this modern world faces, maybe we think it's, it's just not really a realizable ideal. Or maybe we think of sanctity as, as an ideal that is just just impossible and so the church really uh, is and, and of course the scriptures traditionally is always telling us you have no idea what 
you are capable of. Maybe we've, we've relegated our capabilities to a few experiences that we've had. And in fact, none of us, in fact, this is what the church is telling us, none of us has any idea of what we're capable of. Because you could say that God is constantly trying to open our eyes to the amazing possibilities that he is proposing to us. That he has proposed to us in the unfolding of our being. And, of course, the saints, they continue this work, they encourage us to explore our God-given potential. It's not a self-given potential, but it's a God-given potential. They give us this this fascination with the example of their lives. And that's why Pope John Paul II canonized uh, so many saints. I mean, he, he canonized more saints than uh, I think all the other popes put together, right? And, and they are of all kinds. They're religious, they're priests, but there are many lay people. Well, I would say not many yet. Mm-hmm. There should be maybe more uh, lay people, right? And we know that when we have the, the courage to collaborate with God and to pursue our truest self, what does he do? God lights like a fire, within us and it is so bright so warm especially on on these colder fall days and they're going to get colder as we as we you know move on in the year that this fire that he ignites in us keeps shining long after our days of on earth have come to an end now, isn't that a, a beautiful thing that we may think well i'm, I'm going to die in a few years and Maybe there'll be a gray sepia photo of me uh, in somebody's phone or something. Um, but that's the beauty of sanctity. It keeps shining on. We see that in the saints. Right? We see that in churches. We see statues. Right? We see images. Right? They keep shining in our lives by their example, by their biographies, right? by the memories they instill within us. Right? I know a priest recently... I preached a recollection in a, in a church that was designed by an architect that was not Catholic and that I think he'd never been in a church in his life, the architect. And he wasn't given much instruction, so he just imagined the church to be a kind of a, a stage where stuff happens, right? And it's a very, very, um, like, uninspiring, quote, church like you can barely call it a church so the priest who came after had to find a way to make it a little bit more uh, appealing or a more appealing place to pray i mean it's literally a box where there are a few windows and pews but other than that it's really not a very inspiring church so he realized the vestibule area was quite plain and boring looking so he invested some money and he installed some uh, some statues. He installed uh, Saint Teresa of Lisieux. He installed Padre Pio. He installed Saint Anne. He installed um, a number of other Saint Vincent de Paul and so a number of beautiful statues that he installed. And he realized that that vestibule used to be a place where people would congregate and talk and talk and talk and talk and you know hug and oh how are you and and now with all those statues lined all around. Nobody talked anymore. 
It's, it was quiet. He noticed the change in the tone in that area. And it was kind of because these saints were saying to the people, hey, chill, you know, like, relax. You know, it's, this is a sacred place. And we are continuing in some way, we are continuing our mission. And then he continued decorating the church. Well, yeah, there were limitations what you could do. But he noticed that you could say the the sacredness started to um, be more appealing, you could say, in that church. I mean, it took, you know, stained glass. It took uh, statues, images, and so forth like that. And that shows that the saints continue their mission. They are interceding. They're just for that specific parish. They're interceding. And they want to continue doing playing that role in our in our life and so we have to ask our lord you know am i aware of the potential that god has given me in my life that i am more capable than i think with god's grace and the saints did that and they continue their their example with their lives and when we have the courage to collaborate with God and pursue our truest self, he does that. He lights that fire within us as he did uh, with all the saints. So as we consider this, this call to sanctity, what we call in generic terms the universal call to sanctity, we can ask ourselves two questions that that confront people of all times and all places. These are questions we all have to ask ourselves. These are questions that we must confront, you and I must confront today. And that question first is, are you satisfied with the direction that the world now is moving in? And second, are you satisfied with your own life, the direction in which your own life is headed? Are you, are you kind of laid back about the, the direction that your life is going? Okay? And these questions are, in some way, always have to be before us. Okay? Because after all, the saints, seeing the world around them, impelled them. They said, okay, we have to do something. Not enough souls know about the love of Christ. There's either too much ignorance. There's too much mediocrity. Something is wrong. There's... You know, people don't know about the love of God. They don't know about Our Lady. They don't know about the beauty of the sacraments. And that impelled them. That is, the direction the world was going at whatever time they lived. And that led them to change their lives, to improve their lives, to become, as we say, the best version of themselves. Those two questions, what, what is the state of the world now? And what is the state of your life? Those are questions that always have to be in front of us. They are part of our... You could say that, our spiritual quest, part of our human quest. And these questions should kind of linger in our minds when we read the newspaper, when we go on the news, in other words, when we see our own country or when we see the news and things happening in different parts of the world. They awaken our souls as we witness the the battle between good and evil, mm-hmm. however it may be manifested in our life. Mm-hmm. Saint Josria would read the paper after breakfast, and he would look, and he would 
he would turn the pages and there would this war here or this event and you know they would fill the pictures and the titles they they would fill him with sorrow right and he would pray for those people you know there was a kidnapping here or i don't know you know some communist brigade or some in those years in the 70s you know and they would fill him with you could say a desire to be better he would pray for those people he would not simply lament it kind of impelled him to change to be better to pray more to mortify himself and we have to ask ourselves that too you know, am I satisfied with the world that's, as it is today and it's one of the inescapable questions of our life and do I respond to that with uh, passionate action to change myself or with any form of indifference is there indifference when I hear the news? Is there indifference when I, yeah, when I see the latest, uh, the, the events of our, the life around us and our own collective dissatisfaction with the direction of the world leads to uh, this consensus that the, that the world really does need changing. It does need changing. And maybe we are filled with a sort of exasperation, a kind of paralysis by the actually the false belief that we can't do anything about it but that's what the saints do they dispel that false belief they dispel within us that sense of exasperation and they inspire us to bold action they remind us over and over again you can change the world and you start by changing yourself and that's a duty that we have. That's the universal call to sanctity. That is not a call just with certain people in the hierarchy. It's not certainly not just a call of, of priests or nuns or you know people in the you could call that in the professional religious world. Right? It's a call that we all have, right? and uh, and so you know we, we have to ask ourselves to what extent have I taken this responsibility uh, seriously, right? and. We know from his writings and his teaching that you know Saint Josemaria understood deeply um, that this horizon did not mean that Christians now had to go into the sacristy, so to speak, and you know sanctity didn't mean that they had to just go and get involved in a parish somewhere or sort of do things uh, in the church, right? Because uh, that would imply if they think, okay, we have to change things. I'm going to go into my parish and I'm going to help here and there, which obviously they're, those are good things. I mean, they're, they're not, they're good things. They're good things. You know? uh, but where we work, yeah. in our family, yeah. that that's sort of the, the, you know, that's ground zero in many ways, you know, that we have to, that we have the responsibility to build on. Yeah. But because if we thought that the only place we could really act would be in the context of a place like the like the church or you know those kind of more religious areas that would imply that the church activities were the only things that were truly holy and so if you came close to them well then you'd be doing something holy and you would become holy it was as though the church were the only place or the parish was the only place that you would a a have access to a kind of a holy machine and that that would make you holy parish activities uh, the sacristy etc mm -hmm. and naturally 
those are good things. Obviously, they're good things. People work that and they have the call to work in that. But we have to really ask the Lord to help us be leaven in the middle of the world. That's, that's a beautiful image that St. Osmaria used to use a lot, that we be like leaven. Leaven is very small. You know, I don't know how it works exactly, but you put leaven in the dough, in this thick blob of dough, it's just a plunker, and then you put dough in, you put leaven in there, and you put it in the oven, and it, whoa, that, it just rises, it just, and it becomes this very beautiful, tasty bread. And so, uh, well, we have to ask ourselves, you know, to what extent we really have that sense of responsibility. Mm-hmm. It's what Pope John Paul II, in his beautiful apostolic letter called Novo Millennium uh, Inuente, at the beginning of the new millennium, he insisted a lot that that's really what the purpose of our baptism is. It's a, it's a true entry door into the holiness of God through our incorporation into Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And it would be a contradiction for us to settle in any way for a life of mediocrity or any, in any way he would say that we would be marked by some kind of minimalist ethic or what he described as a shallow religiosity. And uh, that's what happens, you know, when you, when you baptize someone, an adult, you ask the catechumens, do you wish to receive baptism? It means that, do you wish, he said at the same time, do you wish to become holy? Right? It means, to, he said, to, to set before them the radical nature of the Sermon uh, uh, on the Mount, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's, it's interesting to do that when you baptize an adult, just before you're about to baptize them and you're surrounded by their friends and family and so forth, do you wish to receive baptism? Well, what do you think I'm here for? I mean, that's that's why I prepared myself. But it's funny how that question suddenly sort of digs deeply in their soul when they understand that it's not just, it is, of course, the physical baptism, the pouring of the water, but they suddenly understand in a new way, do you wish to be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect? Do you wish to take on that responsibility? It's fascinating how these, the simple words suddenly take on much more than a simply a practical sort of physical task. And so, um, so let's ask the Lord for this, uh, um, yeah, this, this dream, the dream to be truly holy in our ordinary work, in ordinary life. It's what St. Josemaria often described as uh, called sanctity in ordinary life. We have to uh, identify where that is, whether it's driving in the car, whether it's the chores or the things at home, whether it's actually in the professional world. We ask our Lord to illuminate us, to give us that grace, that enthusiasm, to flee from any temptation to simply sort of... um, you know, a quiet life of, I guess, mediocrity. So holiness is not something that is trumpeted that you can hear uh, everywhere that ev- or that will make the news necessarily. Mm-hmm. And and so, well, we can play, pray to St. Josemaria who insisted on that, not just in terms of our ordinary life, but also he often insisted on this, um, I guess, this acceptance or this ability to do great things even though we are hidden and we disappear. Right? When he was a young priest, he spoke to some 
some nuns uh, where he helped out, uh, you know, giving the sacraments to the, the sick in this, um, in this institution called Las Damas Apostolicas. And uh, he, he was really um, inspired by the founder of these nuns. And, um, and one of the things they said was that our purpose is to do this good work, but to hide and disappear, even if nobody ever notices what we do. We know that we're doing this in front of God. And that's a beautiful image to hide and disappear, right? That is, we don't do this for, yeah, any human acknowledgement or any fanfare or anything like that to hide and disappear. It's a beautiful image if we could just uh, integrate that uh, in our life so that, you know, nobody would even know that we're doing something good. But of course, in front of God, eh, the Lord will always, uh, well, He will always reward us. Let's ask our Blessed Mother eh, to embrace this beautiful uh, dream of being holy in ordinary life. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me. In this meditation, I ask you to help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, and my Guardian Angel, intercede. Thank you.